I can say is that the insulation works. <laughs> I, I came in by the building that I've been, I saw Adam and the other up in the building there, and they were rolling out all this stuff and this, oh dear, I wouldn't do that for a pension. But uh, sure does work, I'll tell you. Uh, Graham, I don't know if you and I could have gone up in that loft. I know I <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, I, I want to say that um, Ian White's family is in our prayer at this time. There are life and a history being lived. And uh, as human as they are, we all face the same difficulties. It's the fate of every person, never lived, to go through difficulties in life. And Ian had his share. But I'll tell you, in the ups and downs of life, he was loved. And uh, this week we'll be attending and being with the family and blessing them this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now our hearts go out to Ian's entire family. And we pray that you'll bless them in the days that lie ahead. We thank you, Father, for the memories of the one that loved them and they loved him. And we thank you, Father, for every expression of your love for this family. In these final days, Father, as we talk with him, we know that he has made his peace with you and we have every assurance of where he is right now. But bless him, Father, because difficult days lie ahead. We pray that you'll be with them, especially when it comes to laying his remains at rest. Bless the congregation here, Father, to undergird them with their love and their care. In Jesus' name, Amen. <coughs> We had, a, we had a fine two days up in our broth. And uh, came home last night. It was late last night. Uh, uh, but it was great to see them this morning. Up breezy and early in the morning. And uh, somebody says, Adam says last night, what happened to you? And I said, well, somebody talked nasty to one of our young girls, so I just fixed them out. <laughs> but it wasn't that way. It wasn't that way. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> uh, no, I walked into a, a tree, a bush with thorns or whatever it was, and bang. And uh, last night it was bleeding all over, but it looked worse than it really is. It's just a little scratch, but my wife wouldn't kiss me anyhow. So. <laughs> okay. Now, I believe I've told you uh, a, a story which is true of a brother in the church in Oklahoma. And he was playing basketball with his kids out in the yard. And in some of these older homes that were built up, there's a space underneath them. The ball had gone underneath, and he said to his 
uh, young boy, go get the ball, son. And he went underneath there and up underneath the house. And he was just never coming out. His father said to the brother, the older brother, go get your brother out there. And he went in there. And he screamed back, Dad, Dad, snakes! And there was a den of snakes. And it was rattler. And man, because the boy went in there, and they, it's not that they saw, well, there's a human being, we're going to attack him. But they were threatened, and man, they just, whoo, and bit the boys. His dad leaned in and dragged them both out. And he threw them in the back of the car, uh, reversed out of his driveway, and he ran over his daughter. And when he put on his brakes, the back wheel was on top of his daughter. By the time he got in the hospital, three of them were dead. Now that is a true story. However, I did read of one story, whether it's true or not, I doubt it very much, but it serves the purpose for the lesson this morning. It was a beautiful day, and this boy was playing outside in the backyard, and he was having a wonderful time with himself, but his ball went into a pile of shrubs and old uh, dried out tree branches and he was poking about looking for the, the ball and there was a snake there and it bit him and it was a deadly bite this snake had crawled up into that pile and it was frightened by the appearance of this boy the boy very soon was unable to breathe and he lost consciousness. And by the time they got him to the emergency room, he had succumbed to the deadly toxins of the snake in his blood. And the parents were told that their only son was dead. Think about it. His father now, he went and hunted down this snake and he killed it. And he actually took it to a taxidermist and had this snake. It's all stuffed as these guys do. It was mounted on a pedestal, the snake that had killed his son. He had set in its sockets diamonds for its eyes. They had some scales removed from the body and put emeralds and rubies in their place. Just imagine now, he gets a hold of this snake and he places the snake in a, a glass case. And you could see it mounted Poison coil ready to strike, and you could see its fangs and its mouth. Behind the glass case is a red velvet covering. Or oh, it might have been a beautiful thing to look at. But he admired it so much, he said to his friends, Come and see the snake that killed my son. Look at its 
exquisite markings. Observe carefully the elegant features and they are beautiful, wonderful creatures. And notice that coil position. Ready to strike. And he says, have you ever seen such a beautiful specimen as this? Now I ask you, could any of us comprehend doing such a thing? Could you imagine? The thing that had killed his son and he beautified it and put it on show for people to admire. And yet, we do the same thing when we showcase sin in our lives. You see, sin, and that's the sin that caused the death of God's only Son. And too often we'll look down upon sin as something glamorous and appealing. And that's what the world paints about its worldly ways. They show you the glitz and the glamour. They don't show you the cesspool behind it all. Something to be enjoyed and admired. And in reality, behind this mask, sin is a terribly hideous and extremely lethal thing. And as preachers, and I speak as preachers especially, and this includes erroneous, as poor preachers, we've been in situations and we've seen the havoc on families because of sin. We've seen ruined lives, families and homes broken asunder, broken friendships, and it leaves hearts full of guilt and loneliness, and yet people showcase sin as if it was something wonderful. And after the weekend in the workplace, you would hear about it all from the fellas. After the weekend was over. And instead of showcasing sin in our lives, we need to shun sin. Recognize it for what it is. It's despicable and it's deadly. It caused the death of God's only Son on the cross of Calvary. And it's only in the shadow of the cross of Christ that we understand the horrible nature of sin. It was sin. S-I-N is a very little word. Though it often spells disaster. I must leave it very much alone or it may become my master. It's insidious. It'll work on your mind and in your heart and before you know it, you're captivated by it and it's strong. It was because of sin that Jesus endured a cruel, torturous death by crucifixion. Without going in too much about the crucifixion at this time, have some of you seen the Passion of Christ? <clears throat> I saw it five times. I know from I'd like to see it another five times. Because it gave us a, a, a reality glimpse of what the victim went through when he went through the Roman crucifixion. Remember when Jesus came up through the city and he fell at the weight of the 
the cross. Of course, he had just been cruelly, cruelly beaten. Six mock trials he went through. And then they stuck him over a pillar or a battleship object and anchored his hands and his feet. They ripped the clothing off his back. And these soldiers were artists with their cat of nine tails. Long thongs of leather. And tied in each with pieces of glass and wood and bone. And they would not so much as whip the victim, but lay the whip across the victim and pull it back. And you got a description of this in the Passion of Christ. And the back of the victim would be torn asunder. And then they would take salt and rub it into the wounds so that he wouldn't die of gangrene before he endured the cross. And you can well imagine the physical condition and the mental agony that Christ was going through when he was carrying that cross and under the weight of the cross he fell and the soldier, you, carry the cross. Said the Simon. But they got Christ up on the hill, the place of a skull, Golgotha. They dug the hole. They lifted the victim up after nailing him to the cross. And up it went. And down into that socket into the bowels of the earth. That cross went. And came to a sudden stop and every fiber of his being wrapped in pain. And yet Christ wasn't concerned about himself. He was concerned. Seven sayings he had on the cross. And he was always concerned about somebody else. Especially when he said <coughs> Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. Giving responsibility to John at that time. And that last time when he looked up to heaven and he shouted out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Meaning, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, Jesus had to bear the cross alone. It was because of sin. He took the burden of the world's sin on his own shoulder. He became the sin bearer of the world and God at that time had to turn. He had allowed Jesus to take this by himself, the supreme sacrifice. Sin. Your sin and my sin. It's ugly. We might toy around with it. We get so used to it. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. And we'll make excuses for ourselves. And yet, God in His holy nature, His holy character, cannot, it's a totally impossible for God to have sin in his presence. He banishes sin. And we are sin contaminated. And God wants to clean us up and make us fit for heaven, dwelling with him for eternity. But sin has a grip on us and sometimes we revel because of sin. First Peter chapter 2 verse 24 says, He bore our sins 
and his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And so the cross of Christ shows us how truly terrible sin is. But also, on the other hand now, it reveals to us, the cross reveals to us, the magnitude of God's love. Thank God that there's more than just one point to the cross. God demonstrated his love for you and me by allowing Jesus to die for us. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 it says that God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 7 it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. But brethren, what is sin? What is it? First John chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Sin is a transgression of God's law. A transgression of God's law. I'm a real Western buff. I love Western movies. If you have any, give them to me. I love Western movies. And, you know, and you, real, you read the real life story of this Billy the Kid. Well, these, these guys, these outlaws, they went beyond the law. They went out with the law. That's why they were outlaws. And that's what sin is. Going beyond the law of Christ. Not confining ourselves in the, the law of Christ or God. And so when we go beyond God's law, we become outlaws. That's what sin is. First John 5 and 17. All unrighteousness is sin. We can't try and justify unrighteous things that we do in life and make excuses for them. All unrighteousness is sin. All wrongdoing is sin. And if it's repented of now, then it's not a sin unto death, as John says. John chapter 5, verse 17 says. But James in chapter 4, verse 17 says, failure to do good is sin. Now, we need to, we need to get a hold of this. If we know what is good to do, we ought to do it. Because to neglect good and righteousness are life, that's sin. And guess what? Paul said in Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned. And we've come short of the glory of God. Talmud said, I may have quoted this to you before, but it fits in with this lesson anyhow. Talmud said, no man becomes fully evil at once, but suggestion bringeth forth indulgence. Indulgence bringeth forth delight. Delight brings forth consent. Consent brings forth endeavor. Endeavor brings forth practice. Practice brings forth custom. And custom brings forth excuse. Excuse brings forth defense. 
and defense brings forth obstinacy. And obstinacy brings forth boasting. And boasting brings on a seared conscience and a reprobate mind. It is a progressive thing and it gets much easier until it controls you unless you do something about it. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. He says concerning some, they were speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared as with a hot iron. You see, it's so possible for our conscience to be so seared that a sense of wrongdoing does not penetrate our minds and hearts. You know, a blacksmith? I used to work there in the blacksmith shop when I was plumbing heating. And I used to go down and get certain things, made brackets for walls and stuff. And I used to help them make up these and the forge going was fantastic. And uh, learning about metal temperature and not to burn it and, you know, and how to cool it and stuff and all of that. But I used to pick up pieces of metal. Oh, <laughs> It was so hot. And that same blacksmith would pick it up and say, what are you talking about? Because his hands were callous and the heat couldn't penetrate through. Some people's hearts are so hardened that their conscience is seared and cannot be penetrated. And I know some people who have gone so far in sin to the point of no return. That's how Satan can get a hold of people. To the point of no return, it's not that God can't save them, but they've hardened their hearts so much, they'll never come back to God. Being a diver, many have expressed this to you. Being a diver, uh, I understand that, well, take a piece of cork, and you take it uh, 25 feet beneath the surface and let it go. It'll go right up the surface. Take it down 100 feet and let it go. It'll go all the way to the surface. Take it down 150 feet and it will struggle and struggle and then, and then it will come up the surface. And take it down 200 feet, it can't come up. The point of no return. The pressure is so great in the atmosphere, is so great that it pushes the car to the bottom of the sea and it goes on the tides around the world on the bottom of the sea. And we know that for a fact. We can, you can trace it. Go around and people's hearts can go so low, and their conscience can go so low, and he see it so much, that they'll never come back to God. And you know something? And a preacher here today, we've seen that happen. Seen that happen. That they were so hardened, and we toy around and we showcase sin as if it was something great to revel about. But it's damaging. In Romans chapter 1. Did we have that reading today? No. Romans chapter 1. Let, let's just go there. Brethren, uh, it's good for us to, to just go have a, a reading of God's work concerning this. Um, Romans chapter 1. Now, I'm going to break in in verse 21. I'm break in at verse 21. I'm reading from the New King James Version, okay? <coughs> and here we go. 
Uh, go to verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now watch verse 21. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who changed the truth of God for this lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their woman exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. And likewise also the man, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning the lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, and maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice these things, things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Listen. You think that's our world today? You better believe it and it's getting worse. Seems like every cycle of a hundred years things get worse. And you read this and even those in high places in Christendom will condone these things that are going on. What chances people got? The person who's been caught up with homosexuality or some of these dreadful things. I remember one young man came to me, 16 years old. He said, I think I'm homosexual. I said, how do you know that? He didn't understand. He was going through puberty. He was beginning to realize there was something about him that he'd never experienced before. It was different. So I sent him to the counselor. And he was a good counselor. He trained me and counted some counselor. I didn't. We trained in the same place. Incidentally, the man had gone into retirement. And a lady had taken over. She says, tut, tut. She says, that's your preferred lifestyle. Nothing wrong with it. He says, and you're a minister? You're a minister? He says, I want the back. <laughs> she told him, it's all right. God make you that way. And yet here, clearly, God is condemning such. And God don't make junk. 
But we're looking at a world today and we see it reflected as in Paul's day. No difference. And yet, people think, ah, it's not so bad after all. It's okay. That's just their yeah, lifestyle. That's what they've chosen. That's all right. And it's that stuff that has corrupted society and put Christ to the cross. Yeah, we see this is the world in that passage. <coughs> so instead of showcasing sin, as they're doing in television constantly, we see it in our movies, we see it in television, we see it in the books, as if it was second nature, a choice in life, no problem. We need to show it. We need to recognize it for what it's worth. See, in order to accept Christ's offer of forgiveness, we must, and we know, we must place our faith in Him. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And that jailer cried out, What will I do to be saved? And Paul shouted back, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's necessary, to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ. We need to repent of our sins, as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to confess his name. Because, you see, confession is made by the mouth unto salvation. Paul says in Romans 10. And then, of course, we're baptized to have our sins washed away. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. But more than that now, there's the initial sanctification. You were talking about Graham the other day. But there is a continued sanctification, getting to be more like Jesus Christ as we live. We need to continue to walk in the light. That's what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. As uh, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us from sin. So, sin is not for show. Do you know what sin is for? Shame. And you and I are tempted every day we live. We are tempted, but we need to shun it. And we need to cut that out of our lives. That we might glorify God. And when we do sin, and we do sin, we do sin. But we're an advocate with a power. But when we go and say, God, I've done wrong. The blood of Jesus Christ is there still to cleanse your soul. So therefore, let's shun sin. Let's put it to shame. And thank God for the salvation uh, from sin that is found in Jesus Christ. We're going to sing that song again. What can wash away my sin? What is it? Nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing can cleanse you apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as we sing this, every person... Take this to heart, knowing all we need, the blood of Christ. God bless you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me?
Allah.